Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Fearless Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. just want to take a brief second and say thank you for being with us here today. Thank you for caring about your health. Thank you for making these changes. And I just love hearing the feedback of how people are helped by this podcast. That's why we do it. We're so grateful for that. So thank you. Um, on today's episode, there are going to be a few demonstrations. So we have a YouTube channel where you can actually see this in video. So you can head on over there. And if you would not mind telling us what you want to hear more of, especially in this particular um podcast because we want to break this out into mini series so that it is easily assimilated so that we can dive a little deeper and just um, be a little more helpful on certain topics because this is going to be a broad range. And while, and you can also do this as well on iTunes, you know, comment about what you want to hear more of in this particular episode. And while you're there, if you can give us five stars, we greatly appreciate that. So every time I say that we have a special guest, but today's guest is extra, extra special. And I enjoy interviewing everybody that I have interviewed up up to this point. It's so much fun. But our guest today, Lisa Bartlett, is my sister who also happens to be an expert in lighting design. And I know that some people are saying, what does lighting design have to do with health? It actually has a lot. Light has a lot to do with health. All right. So what we are going to wrap about today, we're going to talk about the circadian rhythm and circadian biology. We're going to talk about how light affects cortisol as well as melatonin production in the body, how light and darkness regulate your sleep-wake cycle, how the how light plays a role in um, disorders as well as, you know, brain deterioration disorders, as well as other chronic diseases, what to do, you know, to help with device management, light management throughout the house. Um, and also we are going to give you usable tips and tricks. So please stay until the end to hear about all of it. So Lisa Bartlett is a senior associate, senior lighting designer at Davis Partnership Architects. She has over 20 years of experience. She's an award-winning lighting architect who's passionate about creating spaces that support wellness. She has successfully guided projects as diverse as large hospitals, corporate offices, and civic institutions to completion around the country. She is a recognized thought leader in the lighting industry, knowing for bridging the gap between research and design by utilizing evidence demonstrating the impact of light on human health to execute execute thoughtful designs that support wellness. Although Lisa focuses her efforts on lighting design, she is also a licensed architect and a nationally certified interior designer. EDAC certified lead accredited professional, as well as a professional member of the International Association of Lighting Designers. She is a regular presenter at very high level professional societies, including, but not limited to, the National Institutes of Health, University of Colorado, and Light Fair. Welcome to the Fearless Health Podcast with host Dr. Anne-Marie Barter. Dr. Barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly. Dr. Barter is the founder of Alternative Family Medicine and Chiropractic in Denver and Longmont, Colorado. Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. I'm super psyched to have you. And for the listeners out there that don't know, we are sisters. <laughs> so this is right. going to be a super duper fun, I think, podcast today. So thanks for joining. And like, I'm really excited to talk about today what your expertise is actually. <laughs> thanks, Anne, for having me. I am thrilled to be here. There is so much um, tie-in between lighting and health and being able to 
share some of that knowledge to me is really exciting. So thank you for having me. Totally. Okay. So I want to dive in. And so we are going to talk about the circadian rhythm and why this is important for health. So can you first touch on what the circadian rhythm is? Absolutely. Uh, it's actually a pretty new science. It was only about 20 years ago, it was in 2001, that um, through a study of, I kid you not, blind mice, blind mice, wow. there was deter it was found that there is a whole series of non-visual photoreceptors in the eye. So most of those photoreceptors in our retinas are busy giving visual signals to the brain and helping us see. But about 3% of them are what are called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. And what was discovered was that mice who were totally blind but exposed to light during the day could maintain a normal sleep-wake cycle, whereas those who were kept in the dark went totally off a normal cycle. So the interesting thing about photoreceptors in the eye is that now we have begun to understand how the adaptation of our circadian rhythm, which is that normal it's not quite 24 hours, it's about 24 and a half hours in those people, is regulated by exposure to both light and dark. And the crucial thing about that is that then all of our hormones, so our endocrine system, I'll just take this moment to say, despite the fact that you clearly introduced me uh, with what I do, I am not a doctor. I don't even play one on TV. So Anne is the doctor in the room. I just want to be clear about that. Um, but our endocrine system and all of our hormones are triggered by the circadian system. So the circadian system, there's a master clock in the brain in, if you want fun cocktail party talk, the super... <laughs> super chiasmatic nucleus, which then gives signals to every single clock in the body, there are clocks in every organ. So if your circadian system is properly regulated, not only do you have better regulation of hormones and better sleep and wake cycles, but even things like hunger, athletic performance, and sex drive are positively affected. Likewise, if you have a poorly entrained or dysregulated circadian system, there are a whole host of disease risks that are heightened that are very frightening. And I know we'll talk about that more, but on a very simple uh, level, your sleep and wake cycles are dysregulated and your hormones are also dysregulated as a result of a poorly entrained circadian system. <clears throat> and it's even more important to understand this now because our world of electric lighting has a setup if we're not making conscious interventions like you and many of your listeners do on this podcast, um, it's really easy to have a poorly entrained circadian system because of the way that our world is lit right now. Okay. So I would say that's the big, that's the big summary there, Anne. So when we're looking at, um, you know, a circadian rhythm, for example, mm -hmm. um, what is an ideal circadian rhythm per se? Because I think people are like, well, I sleep, well, I wake, well, I go to bed at 3 a.m. in the morning and I wake up at right. noon, like that's my right. circadian rhythm. So what is an ideal circadian rhythm? Mm -hmm. There are different, what you're describing are called chronotypes. So chronotypes are, we often think of the early bird or the night owl. Um, and there are chronotypes everywhere in between. Um, generally, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of research that shows that early birds, the people with that chronotype, actually have fewer incidences of health issues and risks than people who are night owls. However, um, we can shift our circadian rhythms by exposure to daylight. And so ways to do that... Um, there, there's an interesting study that was done at CU Boulder not too long ago that took a handful of college kids who have com completely dysregulated circadian systems, going to bed at two in the morning, you know, partying on the weekends, hanging out on devices all the time, took them out in the backcountry hmm. and uh, put them, they, had, they were backpacking. So they were just out in the backcountry for something like two weeks with nothing but sunlight. And if there was moonlight, they had moonlight and then they had firelight. Their circadian rhythms all normalized into that normal 24-hour cycle with early wake and reasonable early to bed and longer duration sleep cycles than what most people normally experience. Okay. So you have somebody, I mean, I think that that really sums it up so well. Like you wake up with the sun, 
you go to bed when the sun goes down, like you want to be with the sun, right? And, and then you want to be with the moon, right? You want to be asleep when the moon is up, right? And so what are we seeing hormone wise? So um, for example, if, you know, you know, when it gets dark, you know, we naturally are secreting melatonin. And then when it's light out, you know, so what are we seeing hormone wise more specifically with melatonin and cortisol? And cortisol, sure. It's a gross oversimplification, but I would say that think of um, melatonin as the relaxation hormone that is associated with the body being in what we call biological darkness. And biological darkness is when our body is not seeing a source of light that tells it it's daytime, stay awake. And um, unfortunately, our devices are queued up in that wavelength. So we'll talk more about some of the specifics of this so that um, your listeners uh, can really influence their environments positively. But from the standpoint of the, the conversation, melatonin production begins after the body the, re, the stimulus of a circadian, uh, excuse me, a circadian stimulus has been removed. So a couple hours after that, the body naturally ramps up with melatonin production, and that melatonin production continues to rise. In most people, it reaches its peak around seven hours is what the research is, is telling us. So if you're less than six hours, there's a, a chance that you aren't reaching peak melatonin production levels. You want to get at least seven hours of that full biological darkness. That doesn't mean you have to be sleeping, um, ideally, because there are a host of regenerative processes in the body that are completely contingent on sleep. But like I said, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. But seven hours of melatonin production, we start to see our peak immune fighting properties kick in. During the day, as a converse, what happens is that when we wake up, we want to have exposure to that circadian stimulus uh, within an hour and a half or so of waking. So somewhere between one and max two hours of waking. And what happens then is melatonin levels are starting to drop already, but that, um, that exposure to daylight, preferably, will then create even more melatonin suppression, and it will generate cortisol, which, as you well know, there are real issues when we have elevated, sustained levels of cortisol around the clock. Um, I call that never-ending summer, and that has a handhold with type 2 diabetes and obesity, and even the AMA has acknowledged that. The AMA, no very way. conservative. I actually didn't know that. Yes, <laughs> the AMA has made multiple position statements on this. So um, we don't want to be in a position of excess cortisol, but if we do not have adequate cortisol production during the day, then we're sleepy and we can't get anything done. So cortisol is daytime wakefulness, bright overhead light, get her done. And then melatonin is dark, rest, sleep, and regeneration. And there, as you can finesse, and there are all kinds of things with serotonin and other hormones that I'm, like I said, I'm grossly oversimplifying, but I think that's a really good way to think about the hormone balance. Yeah, I like that. And you know, what's even more interesting to me nowadays is someone will say, oh, you know, I'm not sleeping or I'm not sleeping as well as I should be. And I'm like, how do you know? And they're like, well, my device is like in my bed with me or it like bleeps on I know. or I'm not sleeping or I'm I like, know. oh, you can't do that. Don't and do then, that. Don't do that. So for everybody, we're going to yeah. just stop and say this. Devices should not be in the bedroom when you sleep. And if you need to have a device in the bedroom, like you need your kids to be able to call you in the middle of the night, that thing is across the room and it is face down. And you have the ringer loud enough that it'll wake you up. You're not relying on any illumination of the screen to do it. Get those things out of the bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. Because that is just, you do not sleep well. And I, I mean, I think another point that I think is so great that you made was, you know, how some of these health conditions actually are affected by not sleeping. And we say, you know, a lot of times in the alternative world, health practitioners focus on diet, 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 diet. You hear all these things about diet, but I will tell you, if someone is not sleeping, you will never, ever, ever fix them. Period. End of story. If that, if that sleep wake cycle is off, if they don't go to sleep, if they only sleep like four hours a night, if their sleep is not regulated, you are spinning your wheels a hundred 
per cent. So I think like that is a really excellent point that you made. Yeah. So definitely. Thank I, you for that. I, well, I want to weigh in and just give a little bit. I know you've got a, a question teed up, but I just have to share something with you because this this was a gobsmacker for me um, when I read it. Of course, like I said, the AMA has made multiple position statements about the disease risks associated with um, inappropriate exposure to light at night. And so that melatonin production piece that we were just chatting about, um, a really outstanding study was conducted in, uh, in Japan. It's called the Osaki cohort study. So for the total geeks in the crowd, you can Google it. It was a 10-year period where 24,000 women in a normalized sample were studied over, like I said, 10 years. And they looked at the correlation of breast cancer risk for women who slept they looked at the breast cancer risk over 10 years of all durations of sleep, but they drew the line at if you're less than six hours or more than seven hours. That's where they found the real statistical change. What they found, and again, one of the, t the things that the AMA has said is a real risk with exposure to light at night and lack of appropriate sleep is part of that. Um, is breast cancer. Certain kinds of cancer um, are on these, these same pathways in the, um, on the, in the circadian system. So less than six hours of sleep a night versus more than seven hours of sleep a night. Do you have any idea? Do you want to take a guess, Anne? Are you feeling like it's your lucky day? What was the conferred risk in terms of, of increased risk for those who slept less than six hours a night um, as it relates to melatonin production levels in this very, very extensive study? I'm going to take a stab and say 65%. Oh, ding, 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 ding. Dang. She's, she's in this world. 62%. Wow. That's like, that's like throwing back, you know, six drinks a night, every night. That's the, that's the same equivalency of conferred risk. Um, and so that comes back to that peak melatonin production that if you aren't getting to the peak levels in the body, which for most people happens around seven hours a night, your immune system never has a chance to swing into full ass kicking uh, karate mode, which includes all the cancer fighting properties like natural killer cells and T cells. I mean, both that all of that function doesn't happen in its full capacity if we don't have peak melatonin production. And that's why I'm so interested in talking about lighting because that's the precursor to all of this. We don't have the appropriate light and dark cycles. It's there are many other disease risks, but that's one example that, by the way, has been corroborated in multiple other research studies from around the world, including Scandinavia and Israel. So we have to be careful that we're looking at really good research. This falls under the category of really good research. Yeah, and what's so interesting and, you know, a point that I want to bring up is, you know, especially in the winter months. So, for example, mm -hmm. we're in the winter months. It's getting darker early and earlier. You know, we're not, we're not light here until you know 9 30 p.m 10 p.m right so now it's starting to get darker a little bit earlier and so now what do we see we see people flip on the lights in their house and watch tv and watch the blue light and so what are we seeing that do per se to like you know having you know so much brightness at the end of the day and then we have i think one of the biggest com comments when people come in to see me is there's a few things fatigue which I think directly relates with what we're talking about they have problems falling asleep they have problems staying asleep or I think are three of the biggest issues that people come to see me with how do you believe these issues are related to what we're doing when we get home at the end of the day with turning on the tv turning up the lights turning all the lights on in the house when it's dark what you're talking about with exposure to devices, Anne, is a is a huge consideration. What the I want to rewind and just talk a little bit about sure. the circadian system in its um, in the way that our eyes are adapted. Lawn lawn service is outside. It's a little noisy. So <laughs> you'll have to edit this out if it's too noisy. Um, but our eyes are adapted to this incredible, incredible range of light exposure. From and we measure this in foot candles, which is basically the light. This is so non-scientific. It's funny. It's the light of one candle on a square foot, uh, one square foot, one foot away. So that's a foot candle. 
Our eyes are adapted to such a huge range of light levels. It's important to understand that because we need to talk about the relative numbers of light level exposure. So our eyes are adapted to from 0 0.01, so one one hundredth of a foot candle under the full moon, which if you've ever been out in the middle of the night under a full moon, you can read the newspaper. All the way up to bright daylight gives us about 10,000 foot candles. So check my math, but I think that that's a, a, a range of, of ten, it's a 10 million X. So we have this huge range of adaptation. What our bodies really need, our circadian system needs to be most effectual is to see those really high highs, 10,000 foot candles, but then equally to have those really low lows of, you know how crazy you are under the full moon? You know how much it makes you crazy? That level, 0 0.01 foot candles, is telling your body hey, stuff is going on, wake up. So within that range, here's what we normally get in our interior environments. In our offices, if you are in an office or in a classroom, you might have somewhere between like 20 and 40 foot candles, 20 to 40. And at night, most of the time, our houses are lit up to, you know, at least eh, somewhere in the 10 to 20 foot candle range. And then after dark, most people with incidental lights on or if they go in the bathroom um, and just have a nightlight on are still in that one to two foot candle range. So what that's telling our body, it's, it's this perpetual biological twilight. We're not getting the really bright days and we're not getting the really dark nights and we need both. So back to your question about what are devices doing, devices are actually exacerbating that biological confusion because they're producing light that aligns with the portion of the spectrum. There's a specific wavelength that is the same color of light as sky blue. Duh. You know, we've evolved under daylight. So that portion of the spectrum, which happens to be 485 nanometers, for those people who want to go look at spectral distribution charts of lighting, which I do all day long, um, that portion of the spectrum aligns a lot with what's coming out of devices. Um, what's coming out of devices is a little shorter wavelength, but it happens to have the extra added benefit of causing retinal damage. So we get two, we just get double bang for our buck of not only are, is our body getting the signal of like, say, stay awake because this blue light is coming into our eyes, but we're <laughs> increasing risk of retinal damage. And LED lights, as wonderful as they are around the, um, the energy consumption, um, they are, the native color of LEDs is blue, and then yellow phosphors are layered over those. So when the, the blue light goes through this yellow phosphor, it mixes and it looks like white light. But our body is still getting this blue light component from most LEDs. So if you are at home and you have a TV on, and you have LED lights that are on at full intensity, and you're using devices, you are giving your body signals that, hey, it's still daytime. Your body's like, oh, dude, I got to stay awake. So your, your melatonin is not ramping up. Your cortisol is still elevated beyond where we want it to be. And that's when we get into that thing called never-ending summer. I think about the correlation of what does Mother Nature give us? She gives us this bright overhead light. And so anytime that we have that going on, it's telling our bodies, stay awake, do more. It's like back in our days of being hunters and gatherers. And it was, it was August or July, and we needed to hunt and gather food all day long to set by stores in the winter. We had a lot of cortisol production because we needed to get a ton of stuff done during the daylight. But then what happened? We, we would move into fall and winter and we would go into much shorter days and a lot more sleep. Our devices and TVs are, have us in that never-ending summer mode. And there are ways, this isn't meant to be all bad news and risks and horror stories, there are ways that we can mitigate some of that. But know that, yes, what in summary, that exposure to blue light, whether it's from LEDs, and incandescent light does have blue light, let's not sort of fall into the misconception that, oh, if it's LED, it's bad. If it's incandescent, it's good. Because that's not exactly true. Um, but exposure to devices, those are all just telling our body it's later. It's telling our body to stay up and, and light is making our body stay awake longer. Do you recommend um, one light source over the other? 
I do not. I mean, in I think the key thing is we need to do, we need to, there, there are several parts of this. Um, if you're using LED sources, you need to be careful about um, what that native, and this is kind of moving into the, the world of super technical, but you have to look at the spectral distribution, which for most lay people that aren't in the world of lighting, that's kind of a tough thing to do, right? So our next best ally is, um, is to look at intensity. So the circadian system not only looks at spectrum, it looks at a number of factors. Um, so those, going back to those photoreceptors in the eyes, those intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells, they first want to check out, is this the right spectrum that's telling me that I got to give a signal to the brain? So that's number one. Number two is what is what we would call the dosage, which in terms of light levels is just how bright or dim is it. So if you want to be safe at night, dim your light levels to as low as is possible. The lowest amount you can possibly tolerate um, is a really helpful thing. So I say put everything in your house on a dimmer. My closet is on a dimmer. Like, you know, you, you know this, Anne. Uh-huh. You've been in there. Yeah. Everything is on a dimmer. And, um, and I have some recommendations about, a, about control systems that can make all of that automatic because we're busy. No one has time to go around and, like, twizzle all the dimmers all the time. So there, there are systems that can do that for you. But So number two is dosage. Number one is spectrum. Number two is dosage. Number three is directionality. So those IPRGCs in the eye are back here in the lower portion of the retina just because you would expect you want the sunlight to hit there. That's where they're going to register that. So if you have a device like this, for those of you who are watching the video, you see me showing a little desktop. Um, It's fabulous. It's a circadian light. The challenge with this is that it is entering my eye and it's hitting back here. It's not hitting here. Yeah, I just turned it off. So what we want to do is make sure that if we're looking for a circadian stimulus, that we have that hitting this back portion of the eye, which would suggest overhead lighting. If, we, if it's nighttime and we want our bodies to understand that it's dark, our best friend is to keep all the lights below the horizon line because that's like firelight. Right. Oh, that makes so, sense. Wow. Right. Yeah. So think about, and this, I say this, uh, I give full credit to my colleague and friend, Robert Solaire. He developed uh, lighting for the International Space Station to help the astronauts stay um, regulated in appropriate cycles because they were, there's no natural light there. There's no sunlight. So he developed a lighting system for that and is now the chief science officer at a company called BIOS which produces circadian lighting. And Robert and I have spoken together at, at multiple conferences nationally about this topic. And um, so I give credit to him for this concept of during the day when you want that circadian stimulus, think about lighting the sky. So you want your sky to be bright, anything over horizon line, and that's hitting those photoreceptors that cue the circadian system. After dark, think about lighting the fire. How beautiful is that? And there are two parts of that. You want it to be below horizon line because it's not hitting those photoreceptors. But the other thing is that it's also really, really warm. The color temperature, of, which is a fancy lighting term for how cool or warm it is, is candlelight. And candlelight color, that really warm amber candlelight glow, most of those sources have almost no circadian stimulus. So if you think about those cues, Um, That goes back to spectrum. So after dark, we want everything to be as close to candlelight or firelight as possible. We want it to be below the horizon line. We want it to be as dim as possible. Those things will really um, help go a long way toward making sure that you're not cracking out your body with exposure to blue light. But we still have to talk about managing devices because you can do everything you want with all the, the electric lighting in your house and you can have beautiful lampshades that are low and have it all dimmed. And if you're still using your devices, there's still going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So how? So so what I hear you saying is, I dim everything down, use candlelight. You know, really kind of manage your devices. So how do we manage our devices to mm. to give us a you know to stop the secretion of cortisol to so our body doesn't feel like it is daylight? 
Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I mean, here's the here's the low hanging fruit, which no one's going to buy into, but I got to put it out there anyway, which is just turn it off. Just get it out of the room. Stop using it. Like, listen, we all live in we all live in the real world. And I, I know that that's not an option. So there are a couple of tools that are really important. Um, first of all, many people do use night shift on their phones, which is great. It's more visually comfortable. Um, and I don't remember what the Android term is. Night shift is, is Apple. But um, those, those who are on Android phones will, will know what that corollary is. However, um, research has shown, and I, I looked at a paper yesterday that says there's, um, this is changing brightness settings. So it goes back to what we're talking about, a dimming light. But if you remember the first thing we talked about, about spectrum, it doesn't change the spectrum. So you're still getting blue light. So I'm holding up again. This is blue light source. This is like a daylight color. So I've taken, by using night shift, I've taken it from, and I'm just dimming this, which it, it's doing slowly on camera capture. I've taken it from super bright to less bright. Okay, so that's nice. However, we need to go farther than that. We need to remove that portion of the spectrum entirely. There is a program that is... Um, available for free that you can download on any uh, computer. I think they now have a version that you can do on Apple, on iOS devices, but I'm not positive. Um, and it's called Flux. So you can find that at justgetflux.com. So it's justgetflux.com. And you just plug in your zip code and it extracts your longitude to understand um, what time sunset is, and then it'll shift the output of your devices to take out that blue light in an appropriate time before bed, and it'll ramp it right back up during the day. And you can manually override it, but that takes this. So this is the night shift, non-spectrally tuned version to this as we get closer to sunset, which those of you who are watching on, not watching on YouTube, I'm showing a light that's getting gradually warmer, and then it finally takes it to something that's more of an amber light. And it's actually really relaxing. So I find if I have to do work after dark, um, it keeps me from feeling so crazy. Um, so that's one thing to do. So manage your devices, turn down the, um, turn down the brightness as much as possible, use night shift, use F-Lux, um, turn them off. And really, um, if you want to read before bed, which I do, I'm a reader, uh, you can use a, a, just a regular hard copy book, or if you want to use uh, an electronic reader, make sure to get one that has no backlight. And those are harder to find now, but I have one, I have a Kindle, it's an older Kindle where I just have a little, my case has a little light that I pull out, and so it just concentrates the light right on, right on the screen where I'm reading, and what's in the bedroom is this incredibly low level dimmed incandescent light to its bottom end and it looks like candlelight and it's low like physically low so that's that light the fire piece and then in the bathroom the lights are dimmed way 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 down after dark so i'm not going in and washing my face with uh and then turning the light on and basically suppressing melatonin um the other thing about devices and this is a little bit of a side note but um i had the, the opportunity to go to the, the National Institutes of Health in Maryland um, not too long ago and be part of the Health and Buildings Roundtable where, you know, it's like top leaders from Harvard and Yale and the USGBC and I'm there kind of going, well, thanks for inviting me. This is great. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> I'd love to be here. Glad to be here. I guess. Yep. Yep. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> I'll sign autographs. That's fine. I'll sign autographs. Just, just, just a few bucks. No big deal. <laughs> but there was a whole group there that was um, talking about the risks of EMR and EMF, so electromagnetic radiation and electromagnetic frequency, of which light is a part of that. Light is the visual, visual or visible part of the spectrum. But the, um, the EMF that, that is coming, or the EMR that's coming off of our devices, frankly, um, the NIH is not sure what to do with this group of people because the research is so irrefutable of the risks associated with that, that no one knows what to do with getting rid of devices, getting rid of Wi-Fi, and so the topic is largely ignored. However, um, and I'm sure you've had or will have other experts that address that topic, um, there is a whole component of risk associated with devices that has nothing to do with the light output, but that EMR will um, have an adverse effect on the body, and that's why I keep coming back to, yes, we can do all the color shifting, we can manage the spectrum, we can dim those down, try and put them away two hours before bed. 
but there is still a health risk associated with just its presence in the space. And so I like to recommend the bedroom should be a device-free zone. Don't have a TV in the bedroom. Don't, you know, don't like, you have to have your phone in there, keep it across the room, but don't then ha hang out and have your uh, laptop and your iPad and all of that. Get it all out of there. Um, you will sleep better. And if you happen to have something that has one of those little, you know, the little indicator lights, like the little green LED that's on the fire alarm in the hotel room that'll keep yeah. you up all night. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. There is a product that you can buy. I actually bought a sheet of these stickers. They're from a company called, multiple companies make them. I bought one from a company called Light Dims. And they're just these little blackout stickers in various sizes that you can, you know, you can use to just put over whatever those annoying little indicator lights are as a last resort. Because again, um, those, <laughs> those can cause, um, those can cause some wakefulness. Going back to the photoreceptors, Anne, and this is a very long um, answer to your question. What I didn't touch on is that while the exploration into circadian biology began with the IPRGCs in the eyes, um, early research, um, and one of the proponents who was on her own, Dr. Joan Roberts, was on her own on this for a long time, saying, our skin has photoreceptors all over. Now, the circadian biology is caught up with her. She was, she was, the, um, she was the early voice in that. And we are beginning to recognize that there are photoreceptors all over our skin. So it's not enough to take the stimulus away from our eyes. Like if you sleep with an eye mask on, that's really, really helpful. But if you still have incident light, like from street lights or moonlight coming through your blinds or indicator lights in your bedroom hitting your skin, you are still getting a stimulus. And that's why full darkness is hugely important for not only sleep, but for letting the body reach those peak melatonin production levels, which then are tied to a lot of immune system function. Mm. You know, it's so interesting about you saying that about the flashing light. So mm -hmm. Steven has this Android phone and it like literally updates and then he gets this blue flashing indicator light that happens. And I sleep with an eye mask and that bad boy will wake me up out of a dead yes. sleep when yes, it does that. It completely mm -hmm. wakes me up and I'm like, this, mm -hmm. nope, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's correct. <laughs> like, I mean, you just proved it. You just yeah. proved it. Photoreceptors in the skin, right? right. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm a good sleeper. I'm real solid mm -hmm. at sleep. Um, you know, but that was one of the things that I can actually notice or I can see. And again, the whole thing, I sleep with an eye mask, cool right. temperature. I sleep fine through the night. I don't have any issues. But literally, I'm like, I didn't sleep well last night. And I look over and like that indicator is, I'm like, did your phone update? I hate your phone. Yeah, no kidding. No and it will kidding. literally be in another room and I can see it. Like I mm -hmm. can feel that. So that is absolutely crazy that you say that about mm -hmm. the photoreceptors in the skin. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think one of the things, you know, you touched on some of the diseases earlier that can be associated. Um, what is, has there been any research that talks about, about brain deterioration with, you know, the overconsumption of light or blue light? Have you seen anything mm -hmm. with that? I certainly have. Um, there are, I have had the opportunity to work on multiple um, behavioral health facilities. And so the amount of research just digging into it is really fascinating. And there, um, there are a couple of areas, Anne, that are worth talking about. One of them is, um, is behavioral health. And so when we talk about mental disorders, mood disorders, including depression and bipolar, are among those things that the AMA included in a position statement of elevated risk with inappropriate exposure to light at night. Um, so when we don't have a strongly entrained circadian system, we do have greater risk of mood disorders. And, um, and sleep disorders certainly can fall into that category. Seasonal affective disorder, which is, a, which is pretty low-hanging fruit, um, but depression is tied into that, as is bipolar. And there is a corollary that I think is really interesting, which is that the, and this, this going to sound real fancy, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's fun, and then I'll say it in plain English, which is the effectivity of pharmacological interventions is decreased 
when there is circadian dysregulation in behavioral health patients. So that's a really fancy way of saying your medicine doesn't work very well, doesn't work as well when you do not have appropriate sleep-wake cycles. So we have a double whammy. The other place, and you brought up um, brain deterioration. I'm trying to find the exact page in my notes because I'm a, I'm a note maker, note taker, um, and I seem to be missing the sheet that I wanted to look at. However, um, there is a correlation with aging where let's talk about what happens in the eye because this all builds up um, and, and then we'll work backwards back to your question. As we age, the lens of our eye thickens hardens and yellows, good times. So um, it, you, when you think about something that's yellow, you know how if you ever wear yellow glasses, it just, it filters out blue light. So there are even people who sell yellow glasses to filter out blue light for the blue light risks we talked about. Um, when we age and our lens is yellow, we are getting less of a circadian stimulus to the brain. So we're not, our eyes are disallowing us the Physical deterioration of our eyes is making it a lot harder for our brain to get the bright days signal with a strongly adapted circadian system or strongly entrained. Where that goes when we have circadian dysregulation is an increased incidence of inflammation and amyloid beta deposits, both of which are correlated with Alzheimer's or dementia and there's, a, there's an, an actual slippery slope where um, Alzheimer's is also correlated with more circadian dysregulation. So we have this whole vicious cycle that goes on. And for those people who are like, well, I'm not old. I don't have to worry about dementia. That's like a long ways away. And somebody will figure that out. I will tell you that for those of us who have interesting SNPs in our um, genetics, who have some, um, you know, some interesting uh, <laughs> modifications, we're at higher risk. Of, uh, of dementia. And so paying attention to circadian lighting right now just helps, helps us be better positioned for long-term health. Um, so as we age, we actually need more exposure to a circadian stimulus just to overcome the physical nature of the eye. And without that, absolutely, circadian dysregulation is, uh, is strongly correlated to increased incidence of, of causative factors within Alzheimer's or, or deterioration in the brain. Do you know one piece of advice that I have to give in practice that I think is yeah. very basic, but people need to go outside in full yeah. sunlight? I, to me, it seems like, yeah, you should do this. But when I ask them about their activities or do they go outside, they're like, no. And they have trouble yeah. sleeping. And so they're never outside in full sunlight. That is so mm -hmm interesting about us and you especially see that as people age and so that is yes. interesting that they're not getting the the light that they actually need to stimulate yet yeah, that's fascinating so yeah. i think that, that is so true from from what i've seen over and over again it's it, you know it, it comes down to the idea of bright days and dark nights you yes. know that is that and, and that's what Mother Nature has given us. And it really, I mean, I keep things simple. Um, I do, and, and I have an indoor job, right? So there are people who work outside and, and, and this may be a little bit easier for them, but I work inside. In the days of COVID, I'm working from home. So there's really no reason I even have to leave the house. Um, but I will get out in the morning before I start the workday and at least take a 15-minute walk around the block. And I do that without sunglasses on, even if it's really bright and I'm kind of having to blink a lot. The risk of retinal damage or skin damage in that period of time versus the, the, core, the risk of a poorly entrained circadian system, which we didn't even touch on a number of the other diseases that, again, we go back to our most conservative governing body, the AMA. They've made multiple position statements about it. So that risk that I, I think dermatologists have really um, done a great job of, of making people aware of the, 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 the risks of sun damage associated with sun exposure. <laughs> However, we're not giving due attention to what we need to do for circadian regulation. So I go out and walk without, uh, without sunglasses on for at least 15 minutes. It more is better, but I find 15, 20 minutes is kind of a good baseline for me to at least kind of keep out of serious trouble. Like I said, more is better, but 15, 20 minutes 
and do it within an hour and a half or so of waking because there's a correlation with, uh, with your lowest core body temperature or basal body temperature. And then during the day, um, some people use blue blocking glasses, like that's a big thing since we're all on tech a lot. Frankly, that's going to help with some retinal damage, but stay the heck away from those when you go outside and you get some real daylight in your eyes. And then make sure that as much as possible, you're just dimming all those lights as low as, as, as possible after dark. I try to turn off devices well before bed, sleep in a device-free bedroom. Um, and absolutely, that daylight exposure during the day is a key part of it. That's awesome. I mean, I do the exact same thing. I yeah. get up. And so Except for I, Steven's phone. Yeah. Oh, yes, as far as sleep goes. Terrible. That terrible. is terrible. Oh, <laughs> that phone. The death of me. That, but, <laughs> but I'm the same way as you. I like to get up and walk around mm -hmm. and let my body know what time of the day it is. Again, mm -hmm. since I work inside most of the day and then right. I like to get outside after work to again tell my body what time of day it is, you know, so that mm -hmm. it, it has an idea. So yeah, you, um, I, there's, um, a couple other questions I've got for sure. Um, I want to, um, you, you touched that there are some other diseases associated with this. Are there any that you'd like to touch on right now? Because I definitely want to get into the colors of lights and what those do. Yeah, oh, fun. That's a really fun topic. Well, just know that because our um, all of our hormones are really dictated by our circadian rhythms, that all of the things that are regulated, such as hunger, and, um, and sexual drive, all of those hormones are tied into our circadian system. So without going in depth into it, um, there are greater uh, risks of obesity. And then like we talked about with, uh, with ex elevated levels of cortisol, type two diabetes, but reproductive problems can also be indicated in this. And I do not mean to oversimplify. There's a huge difference between correlation and causation. So I'm not saying that any of this is causative, but it's correlated. So it is a factor. And when we look at the cost of some of these diseases, so all these various kinds of cancers and type 2 diabetes, both in terms of direct treatment costs as well as lost productivity, those costs for the U.S. nationally are in the billions of dollars. And if we could make 1% of a difference by changing some of our light equations, you know, we can save this country hundreds of millions of dollars in lost productivity, time, and medical costs. And so to me, that's a huge motivation. Some people really need to know the numbers to be motivated. There's a big financial motivation. But I think from a disease standpoint, now we've probably touched on um, a lot of the really key items. So I say, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep going. Yeah. Okay. I think one of the cool things too, that you were talking about photoreceptors and lights that I mm -hmm. just want to throw in there is serotonin is actually also produced with the photoreceptors there. And so right. when it hits the rapey nuclei and so serotonin keeps you happy and that's going to help mm. with like effects, like affect seasonal affective disorder, for example. And there's a lot of this information out there that most serotonin is made in the gut, it's actually stored in the gut. And so you're going to see that with a lot of depression, a lot of overeating, which is also, you know, creating, you know, issues as well. So I think that that's really important also, you know, to get that direct sunlight so that you can mm -hmm. be happier. Yeah. And so getting that direct sunlight is really important. And I mean, SSRIs mm -hmm. are one of the largest prescriptions yeah. in the country. So mm -hmm. yeah. get outside. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, one other thing I want to say, just because some people need to know what um, artificial light interventions are available. There oh, certainly yeah. are, there are certainly are arrays that, um, that, you know, you can sit in front of a, uh, an array that will um, help. Those are often marketed for seasonal affective disorder. Um, there is starting to be a trickle of products on the market that are, that are, targeted to consumers. So you don't have to be in the professional world of lighting design to kind of access some of these very specialized products. And two things that are worth mentioning for those people who just say, I absolutely have to have some kind of 
electric light intervention for whatever that reason is, which there are valid reasons out there. Um, some of which may be, I live in Alaska, I will help me in the winter, you know, right? So um, one of the, comp there are two companies that I'll mention um, where, and I, I take this science very seriously. So there's a lot of what I call blue wash out there. I'm like, this is circadian lighting. It's going to help you. It's tunable white. Unless the science is really sound, um, stay, stay away. So two companies that are doing a great job. One of them is Health E. It's just health with a lowercase e at the end. And they make down lights and puck lights that are very accessible for the residential environment that do have, a, they do have um, a circadian stimulus in them. And then when you dim them, it takes out that portion of the spectrum. So it's, this is the company that produced this, this light was produced by that company. This is not the product I'm talking about, but you can see the changing color here, this has no circadian stimulus in it. So that's one company. If you say, I just am so all in, I got to redo my whole house. Um, in which case I'd say, call me, you know, like if you've got a big commercial office or something, call me, I'll do the lighting design for you. But the other product, and I'm going to swing this around. So um, again, those of you who are just listening in, I'm showing Anne my desk lamp, which is a beautiful Artemidi Tolomeo classic Italian design. Love it. But what's inside of this is just an LED light bulb. I'll just hold this up. This is from that company, BIOS, that I mentioned where my friend Robert Soler is their chief science mm. officer. Looks like a standard LED light bulb. It is a little bit bigger. But what this does is the science behind this is that when it is on, which I'm going to turn this on full intensity in just a second. So, when, so this is on full intensity. It's a pretty cool color temperature, so it looks more like sunlight, and it is providing a lot of circadian stimulus. It has that spectrum that is telling my body it's daylight, wake up, be alert. And then I'm going to take it just to the low end to show. So hopefully you can see this and I'm just using a little Lutron Caseta uh, pl or a Lutron plug-in lamp dimmer. You can see how warm this gets. And mm -hmm. frankly, I'd like to see it be dimmer. I've given that feedback to BIOS, but this does not have any circadian stimulus in it. And I'll tell you how effective this is. I had one night where I was working late and I had it on full intensity because I was doing paperwork. And so I was on my computer, but I was doing paperwork and I just left it on right next to me, one light bulb right next to me. And I was awake and like totally awake. Like I could have gotten up and done anything until three in the morning. <laughs> and I had turned off the light by 10, but I was awake until three in the morning, oh one light bulb. So it's also just kind of buyer beware. You need Jeez. to be cautious. You need to know what you're using, but there are solutions coming onto the market where um, you don't necessarily, it is best to get sunlight, but there are other ways you can do this. So again, I'll just reiterate, that's BIOS lighting, it's B-I-O-S. And if you look for circadian lighting, there's a, a link to consumer lights. Um, ironically, Dave Asprey, he of Bulletproof Coffee, found this research and tapped Robert and BIOS to produce these same bulbs for him. So he's selling them under the brand True Lights. So if you wanna buy them from Dave Asprey, you can buy them from him. I would just suggest you price compare. Um, but so True Lights from Dave Asprey or BIOS and then Health E Lighting are all really reputable sources where the science is solid. Cool, wow. And by the way, I get nothing for any of this. So in case y'all are wondering, I don't get any royalties, <laughs> compensation, anything for any of this. I'm not trying to sell anything. Got it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so I love that. So let's talk about the different colors in the light spectrum and what that's doing. Because I think the research on the red light is incredible. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, so once we move out of the world of just talking about strictly white light, and for the purposes of this conversation, we'll call all daylight white light, even though it ranges from candlelight color to that really cool, almost blue. We'll just, we'll just oversimplify and say that's white light. So when we talk about colored light, it's anything that looks like a saturated color. So think nightclub. And it doesn't have to be saturated. It could be more pastel. Um, but I've been really interested and have done research in this, um, in this realm and also uh, executed some solutions on projects where we've continued to do research and do follow-up post-occupancy evaluation to gather data on people's experiences. But as a minimum, some of the things that are out in the world of science uh, are that red light, and the military has known this for a long time, red light is highly alerting. 
So it also can trigger aggression and anger. So we certainly, if someone has those, those tendencies or is a mental behavioral health patient, we do not want them to be exposed to any kind of red light, um, much less in a kind of saturated environment. Um, but red light will provide an alerting function that doesn't do melatonin suppression. So what we were talking about, the example I just gave with the light that has a circadian stimulus, my melatonin was suppressed. So not only was I not sleeping, kind of threw off my sleep-wake cycles. Had I decided I really have to stay awake and alert and I need to do it till three in the morning and I did it with red light, my melatonin would still be ramping up for production. Um, the other interesting things about red light are that it enhances muscular and athletic performance after exposure. So that's at that cellular production level. Like um, red light is often used in skin treatments for collagen production. So it's actually enhancing things at a molecular level. And so those are some of the interesting items about red light. Green I can light. Hear, wait, can I just stop you? I can oh, yeah, hear yeah, people yeah, yeah. out there being like, do I have to sit in a tanning bed with it? Can I just put it on my face? Like, oh. how do I do that? Do I need it on my, where yeah. do I put it to enhance my performance? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So actually there is, I am, I have done this multiple times. There is a company that I, that is building what look like tanning beds, but they have far red they have far red light in them. It's not infrared. It's actually a little bit more in the visible light portion of the spectrum, but they talk about all the benefits of cellular reproduction and everything else that happens. I don't remember the name of that product, but I've gone to Denver sports recovery to, um, to do that. And it really, I found it to be very effective. Um, what you want is, is truly, you want your brain to be, uh, there are two, two methods. You, there's a signal to the brain, and that's part of it. So the alerting is going to happen through the eyes, but it'll also happen some through the skin. So all of that muscular performance is most directly delivered through the skin. So you, you would, in that instance, want to go for the whole kind of tanning bed type approach. What we've done in projects, because we're not putting tanning beds in, you know, in, in uh, behavioral health hospitals, is to create a room where we have these lights in the ceiling. They're also lamps, and Philips Hue makes, makes bulbs that have this kind of spectrum. So you could, you could put lamps or have lights in the ceiling in a small white room, and you could just saturate yourself with this light, or you could get a, a simple white, you know, like a canopy over a bed and have some, um, some light bulbs that kind of create this tent effect. So you're really in an environment that is fully that color. There's a there's a, actually a light light therapist in London who has done that. She's done that for years. She has a tent with this really saturated color where her clients will go in and lay down, and she'll just move through the colors until there's something that they like, and then they'll just basically bathe in this color of light. So, however you can bathe in a color of light is good. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, do you want to hear about any other? Um, I do. Hit colors. Green. Let's okay. Green. All right. All right. Here we go. Green. Um, Green has been shown to uh, reduce pain. So migraines are, um, there's, there are clinical studies about that, reduction of migraines. And so for those of you who are um, into uh, Shinrin-yoku, I think it's Shinrin-yoku is the name for it, forest bathing. I may have gotten that wrong. But um, there's, I think that there's some data that shows that it's not just a psychological thing. The filtering of light and the green color of light has a specific neurological effect. And I assume some of this is associated. These things are, are all connected. But green light has been shown to, uh, reduce, to reduce pain. I'm going to just see what other notes that I have. Uh, yep. Oh, gazing at green light can stimulate production of encaphalins, an opioid-like chemical produced in the brain to reduce pain. Um, so that's also been um, assisted in fibromyalgia, not just, uh, not just migraines. So um, that's, that's an interesting little tidbit about, about green light. Awesome. I like that. That's really, yeah. really cool. Um, and then mm -hmm. what other colors are effective? Are there any other colors that you think are important? Like orange light? I mean, I, that doesn't, that's going to be more on the kind on of the amber side, amber mm -hmm. side, like fire, mm -hmm. like fire light. light. Yeah. Yep. I think the big one to address is blue light. Um, most people, it's funny because in this, with the post-occupancy evaluations from the spaces where we've utilized colored light, a lot of people like to go into a space and make it kind of like a nice aqua color or soft pastel blue. 
oh, it's relaxing. Well, so there's a psychological effect of relaxation with blue light, and that that is certainly um, it soothes the nervous it soothes the nervous system, but it's stimulating the circadian system. So that would be the caution that when you're using it at a time where you do not want a circadian stimulus, you're going to get one. So use it at the same the same times it would be appropriate to have exposure to daylight. But it is certainly very soothing um, to the nervous system and. There's not a ton of, oh, actually, it is being used uh, quite a bit for disinfection. So those who are tracking on any possible solution to COVID and are worried about, um, about transmission of pathogens on, through surfaces, UV light has become this big kind of perceived panacea. And blue light actually has a similar function of killing pathogens. So, um, you know, it's used, in, it's used in hospital environments for that purpose. Awesome. Is there anything that we didn't cover that's important to add here? Well, we um, before just kind of summing it up, because I know this has been a lot, it's been a really wide-ranging conversation and it's a lot to take in, but one thing that I didn't talk about quite enough is the importance of lighting controls. So um, for those who are really serious about doing something in your homes, the first most simple step I would say to take other than training yourself to just turn stuff off and get devices out of rooms and turn those off at night is install dimmers everywhere. And um, I have a system in my house called Lutron Caseta. Lutron is the, the inventor of the dimmer. They came up with that in back mm, the fifties, I think. Um, and they have a, there are other home systems that allow you to control things with preset schedules, but I like Caseta because it's very reliable and um, I can schedule my lights to dim through an app. And then of course I can schedule my porch lights to be on overnight at low light levels and then turn off at sunrise for security. So there are other added benefits, but automating some of these things is really helpful because again, um, we're all busy people, and to have to go through and think about, oh, did I dim my lights? Well, that may not be part of how you want to spend your time, so having a system that does that for you uh, is really useful, and like I said, I think that Lutron Caseta is, is good quality. It's what I use. I like it, and then they have these really cool, they make the best lamp dimmers ever, so then, you know, you can control them with these little, these little devices that just sit on tabletops, and it's, you know, everybody will think you're really cool, which, of course, all your listeners are really cool, man. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> so are, controls are, are critical. Controls are critical. Right. But awesome. otherwise, you know, without a, a deep dive into the science um, and a, a whole lot more of the geek out there, I would say um, I, I think we've we've touched on it a lot. And then, you know, if your listeners give feedback that they want more, they want to know more, they want a round two, we can definitely go deeper on a lot of things, Anne, and I'd be delighted to do that. Awesome. Okay. Well, where... Can people find you if they want to get in touch with you oh. too? Well, wait a minute. Hang on. Before we hold, do that, let me just give you that. I just want hold the phone. Hold the phone. <laughs> hold the phone. Just do the quick. We're gonna do the quick recap before okay, that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Then, okay. Yeah. Perfect. And then, okay. So here's the recap. Get ready. Bright days, dark nights. <laughs> if you remember this, you're in great shape. So morning light exposure. Uh, you can use a wake up light. Changed my life. Love it. Love it. Love it. I have one from Philips. It's awesome. And then make sure that for those bright days, you are lighting the sky. So light above the horizon line and you want it to be bright. Okay, so then we move on to dark nights. So for dark nights, dim lights as low as possible. Remember, light the fire. So light below the horizon line, really warm color temperature, candlelight color, and then sleep in full darkness. And P.S., that includes, so if you have kids or you, not you, Anne, but if, if anybody needs a light, a night light in a room, make sure it's amber. You can use red, but I think it's a little creepy. It looks a little, <laughs> looks a little Amsterdam, so I recommend amber. Um, if you really, really have to have a night light in a room, which in kids' rooms, I get it, that's the case, but sleep in full darkness, so we want to have blinds, we want to have shades, we want to make sure that we don't have stuff lit up in the room. And by the way, if you want to look at um, just a really awesome summation of some really great tips on sleep hygiene. Casper, the mattress company, has as good a list as anybody. And I look at a lot of science and a lot of research. So if you just Google Casper sleep schedule, you'll come up with actually a really outstanding set of recommendations. It's very easy to follow and understand. 
And then we want to make sure that we're managing our devices. So preferably they're off and out of the, out of the room. Um, let's try and have them off be, two hours before bedtime. Make sure that not only is night shift installed, we've got efflux on those and um, keep them out of the bedroom and then install controls to help you do it. So that's the summation. Very good. Awesome. And where can people find you now if they want to get in touch with you? Oh, I would just look me up on LinkedIn. So if you just look up Lisa Bartlett Lighting on LinkedIn, you'll come right up with, uh, with my profile. Awesome. Well, thank you so much yeah. for being here. Thanks so much for giving great information, tips and tricks to do this easily. This has been incredible. I think there is just a lot of usable information that most people don't know at all or had no idea right. or had no idea that this was affecting anything. So I think that this was a really, really helpful interview. So thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun, Anne. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed learning with us today, please give us a five-star review, comment, like, and share our podcast with your friends and family. As always, if you'd like to learn more information about today's guest, please head over to fearlesshealthpodcast.com for links to their site and other educational resources.